For July 12th, 2021, it's the Overthinking It podcast, episode 680. Richard Branson, the first billionaire to go to prom. It's Overthinking It, where we subject the popular culture to a level of scrutiny it probably doesn't deserve. The Overthinkers are your smart, funny friends from the internet. Never happier than when we are... talking about the things we love together. Uh, now, this week, you might expect us, there, there is a new Marvel movie out. And, you know, the, the interesting thing I think you can say about it is that apparently it made a lot of money on streaming. It's the first, it's the first thing where I've seen a figure published um, for, like, here is our streaming revenue broken out separately in the opening weekend of a... Uh, of a film. And it was impressive. It was I, the, the figure I saw, uh, if memory services is, is $60 million, which is a good opening weekend. And if that's only a component of, uh, what it was, I mean, they, they are probably onto something. Uh, business wise, but, but, um, you know, I, I know that a few, uh, a few, I'm sure many of you listening have watched the uh, Black Widow movie. And I know a few people on this podcast have here, here's what we think. We really need to ruminate on this one. <laughs> we really just need to, to take a little time. No, we, we need to get, we need to uh, get to a point where we can all see the Black Widow movie. So. You know, um, as much as uh, I don't like to call our shot, that is likely our podcast next week, perhaps with this same panel, this self-same group of individuals. And and this week we're talking about something different. Who are that panel? Uh, who is that panel? Who are the people on that panel, which is the panel? Well, I'm Matt Rather. You know me. I'm here with my good friends, Matthew Belinky. Hello, Matt. Hey there. Uh, by the way, I've already seen uh, the, uh, the Black Widow movie, and it's funnier if you think of it as Midsummer 2. <laughs> okay. Got it. <laughs> uh, I, you know, I didn't watch Midsummer because I don't like scary things. Oh, well, then, then you're going to hate this. <laughs> oh, dear. <laughs> it's a, is it really about a spider who, like, just yeah, is, no, it's about, is it it's arachnophobia arachn- 3? It's, it's just spiders coming from all directions. Oh, God. Like that, that one <laughs> That one terrifying episode of Black Mirror. Uh, we also have Pete Fenzel. Hey, Pete, how are you? I'm good. I have seen Black Widow, and I think it's better if you think of it as a sequel to the popular Iggy Azalea song. Uh, of course, Black what, Widow. Fa- fancy? Oh, no, Black Widow. Okay, got it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes. Uh, well, okay, so first things first, I'm the realist. Second things second, let's talk about Black Widow next Okay, week. got it. And let's talk about it. Let's talk about it next week. And uh, Mark Lee. Uh, I'm here. I have not seen Black Widow yet, but I am told it is a sequel to Little Women. So I'm really looking forward to that. Thanks, Florence Pugh. You're you're fantastic. Love your work. All Love right. those amazing cinematic universes that all revolve around you. You know, uh, we haven't had Belinky on the podcast really regularly for for quite some time. For you know, almost the whole, um, almost the 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 whole. Uh, championship season you know and (laughs) and uh and i i just wonder matt is is there a reason for this like have you for example been dedicating yourself night and day to a uh quixotic mega quest which you know in terms of time spent could really be considered your second job yeah, uh, so I've been working <laughs> yeah, on a project. Ca- such a casual which, answer. Uh, I'm glad. I'm glad that you asked the question. Thank you. Um, and in classic overthinking it style, it's about uh, economics. It's about consumerism. It's about uh, gender. Uh, it's about a sort of a, a generational push and pull between the the old and the new and authenticity. Uh, but it's also about sexy, sexy Looney Tunes. Um, so you should, uh, definitely check out our YouTube channel for, uh, the mashup that nobody asked for, which is the, the Space Jam, uh, WAP, uh, mashup and accompanying music video, which I just want to mention. So the the genesis of this was that, um, you know, there's this whole subculture of mashing up the, uh, Space Jam song, uh, with literally anything and the more obscure, the better. And I, it, it just sort of occurred to me, this is like, you know, back during the pandemic when WAP was like the sort of flavor of the month, uh, that I hadn't heard a, a mashup there yet. And I looked for it and, and in, there wasn't anything on, it felt like the internet had like uh, developed a massive blind spot. Like it felt inconceivable that, that people wouldn't have done that. 
on the first day that that song was out. Um, and so I, I, I took with my sort of limited sound editing chops, took a shot at, at doing the mashup and it, it was, it was a legitimate banger. Uh, I still think it's, it's, I would listen to this at the gym voluntarily, even if I hadn't created it. And it took like a night to make the track. And then it took like the next 10 months to make a video to go with it. <laughs> now Matt, this isn't like an, an AMV, right? Where you pick clips from space jam and you edit them over your mashup of WAP and uh, <laughs> no, Space although, Jam. In retrospect, that would that would have been great and a lot easier. But this is something you – this is one of those Carl Sagan, in order to bake an apple pie, you must first create the universe moments, right? Where, yeah, I mean, where, honestly, like I'd, I'd always wanted to learn the basics of 3D and, and, and you know, how, <laughs> how these things are done. And this is not the way I expected that opportunity to come into my life. But it I is, did it learn is, it to is like, full, you know, it is full 3D CGI all made by you who learned 3D animation solely for the purpose or occasion of making a Space Jam WAP mashup. Yes. Uh, but when you put it that way, it sounds more disturbing. <laughs> it is a, it is a computer it, it animated, a computer animated short film. <laughs> right. that, that is 100 percent sexy dancing by cartoons you and go. you know and, and explicit explicit rapping parental advisory on this <laughs> on the looney to on on tweety bird especially uh yeah no tweety tweety bird is is not uh fit for children anymore <laughs> uh he is very intense and very gender fluid and uh he haunts my dreams uh, but I, not in necessarily a bad way. Um, so, uh, yeah, so that's, uh, well, like, I don't know, I, Matt, this is putting you on the spot, but do you feel like, did you, what did you learn about 3d animation? Not, not having, I mean, I'm not aware of you being like a person who do, like keeps a sketchbook or like does drawings or things like that in your spare time. So like what as a non, well, you're, you're an artist. I mean, who, you know, in a way we're all artists, but, uh, uh, I, I, I'm sorry, no, no shade by saying, you're not an artist. You're not like a visual artist. Um, you know, and what did you, what did you learn by doing this, uh, by doing this gargantuan project? Yeah. I mean, I learned, this is one of those, I mean, maybe this is true of like most visual arts or, or, you know, like a lot of anything that's very technical, the sort of like sculpting or, you know, like video making and everything where it's like, it's 90% plus maybe at some points, even like 99%, technical problems and then like one percent art right it's just sort of like knowing how to do what you have in your mind is most of it so that like i mean like a good example is like there's a, a scene at the end where there's like a sort of wading pool of water there's a sort of like ankle deep water that everyone is dancing in and the ripples and the reflections are going off of the water and like you know it took weeks of iteration and I was asking strangers on the internet to look at stuff and, you know, running various tests of changing the lighting, changing the texture of the water, changing the way that the movement was translated into the surface. Um, and it, you know, like, so, so the actual sort of like, uh, what to show, you know, is, is really just the tip of the iceberg. And most of it is just trying to make it look good which is just a lot of trial and error and just, you know, knowing where the secret button that makes everything look good is. Did you I don't um, know why they, they don't put that up front? Is the but is there a secret button that makes it look good? It turns well, like, out. I'm I'm not going to tell you. I'm going to make you find it the way that they made me find it. <laughs> it was not I guess it it uh yeah, it wouldn't be a secret button. Um, um, let's put it this way. I think there's a secret button that makes it look good, but that button is different for every possible situation. So you might have to try all the buttons to to see what works. Yeah. The, the, I like it is, you know, I don't know. I, all I can say is that Lola bunny's got some moves, you know, that's uh that's what yeah. I, uh, although it's, it's funny that like, I, I was trying to lean against making this just furry fan service. And I apologize. I know that we have a lot of furry listeners and I do not mean to denigrate the community, but at first it was, it was supposed to, I was going to call it, I was going to call it wet ass bunny. It's a wab. I don't know. I don't know if I just gave us like a chili pepper just by saying wab. Um, 
but then it was just sort of like I didn't want the focus to be too aggressively on the bunny. And then not to, you know, at, at first there was a lot more dancing of the bunny, but then it was actually uh, sort of a current events actually uh, sort of supplanted what I was working on because there was a controversy in the news about a redesign of Lola Bunny for the new Space Jam movie, which is this roughly uh, targeted to. Uh, and they, they tried to desexualize the bunny and like the director came out and like granted, you know, when the trailer hit and the Internet, the Internet was uh, aghast at the, that the bunny was no longer like uh, just a, a pure pinup material along the lines of Jessica Rabbit. Uh, that the director had to like you know talk about his his vision for for Lola Bunny. So even though this is the older Lola Bunny, um, I did I did put in the switcheroo where instead of like her doing the sexiest dancing, there's like a trap door in the ground that that spins around really quickly to reveal a sexualized Elmer Fudd wearing a crop top. Um, don't give away did, all the secrets, Matt. Oh yeah, no, I don't. There, no, there's there's still <laughs> spoiler <a lot> of, <laughs> alert. But I did I did put an inordinate amount of time into Elmer Fudd's uh, butts and making it look uh, both sexy and also sort of like jiggling with the right consistency. At first, it was uh, the first time I rendered this. It jiggled so intensely that you couldn't read the word "thick." Which was written on his because it was just a blur, just a sort of like a like a jello, you know, on on a on a like a, a washing machine type of a <laughs> jiggle. And I had to I had to reduce the jiggliness uh, to bring in some legibility. And this is like what my wife has to. This this is like our dinner time conversation now but for like, like the last. I remember six because the angle of his lower back was really confounding. Also, right, getting the right amount of Elmer Fudd twerking. And also kind of putting his posture in the right position so that the twerking didn't seem to be causing him too much pain. Yeah. Uh, I mean, it seemed like it was really complicated. How much time do you think you spent on Elmer Fudd's twerking animation? Just the butt. I think the real the real defining moment for me is I felt strongly all along that if you're wearing gym shorts and you sort of bend over, no matter how tight the gym shorts on, you're not going to get like cleavage in the gym shorts. It's going to be a smooth sort of like plain between the two the two cheeks right and and there's not going to be any indentation in the middle because the gym shorts the gym shorts are not yoga pants is what you're saying yeah no the gym shorts are not yoga pants and even even though i think that is factually true it's not emotionally true and that that i think like the Mm. fantasy gym shorts that we all sort of wanted elmer fudd to wear are do have the consistency of yoga pants and so it's when i gave them a little bit when i upped the yoga pantsness like 20 percent did the whole thing really come to life for me got it so that's so 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 i feel like uh when when you talk about the kind of gym shorts that we all wanted elmer fudd to wear i feel like the word we is is doing a lot of work in that sentence (laughs) <laughs> I mean, but, but WeWork is is a very successful uh, company, so <laughs> is it? I'm just, it's, I'm, it's doing where it's making where we where we big assumptions. We woke, Peter. Sorry to interrupt you. Thank, thank you, Elmer. I appreciate that. No, I just I, I feel like it. It's similar. I think that this is. I would suggest that this is an issue across uh, computer graphics in general, right? I, based on what I've seen from other from computer animators that might be a little bit more experienced than you uh, talking about computer animation, but that there are assumptions that audiences have about the way that things behave that are based on their fantasy of how it behaves. That isn't how it behaves in real life. And so the special effects people, whether it's practical or, or in computer animation have to commit to that. Whether that means in animation, making sure that you're doing enough kind of bend and stretch and distortion of animated characters when they're in CGI, rather than just having them be bricks that kind of move around without any elasticity, right? Or something like when somebody gets shot, do they go backwards, right? Because, yeah. No, and I I think – you know, one one interesting way that this this sort of plays out in the industry, which I've I've been reading some of the industry message boards, just sort of being a being a sort of amateur uh, CG nerd, um, is uh, so a lot of CG sort of lower budget CG company. You know, the, the the sort of illumination that does like the Minion movies or the um, you know the the 
like DreamWorks, Shrek stuff and everything will use some motion capture, right? That like if you need to have like a fight scene or you need to have somebody like, I don't know, playing the piano or doing a dance, um, you get people in the studio and you strap a suit in them and you capture a bunch of animation. You use pieces, sort of mix and match that stuff. Um, and Pixar, which sort of prides itself, it sort of considers itself to be like, you know, a different cut. Pixar definitely has like a, a snobbish list that like there's everybody else, sort of the way HBO considers itself like above the rest of television. That Pixar is like there's all the other companies and then there's us. And they have like a, a stated policy of never um, doing any motion capture, even for something where it's like there, there are um, the most recent Pixar movie soul has a piano playing like really complicated jazz piano playing. And they would not even for that do motion capture of an actual jazz pianist that they went in and animated every finger by hand pushing the keys, which I got to feel like at some point is, is you're trying to make like a philosophical statement rather than truly believing that like animating that piano by hand is has a different effect than than motion capture but it is i I mean i think i think what's behind it is the idea that that true animation is not just supposed to be like a a pictorial representation of real life but like an exaggerated fantasy representation of real life and that the motion should not be exactly what you'd capture if you like you know put um, the motion capture suit on Savion Glover and told him to act like a penguin, but is supposed to be like an artist's representation of like what that would be like. And it's, it's the, the sort of um, the mediation of that artist between the sort of movement and the technology that like makes it art. So did you motion capture Elmer Fudd's butt for your project? Yeah, no, that's, no that, that's, that's what I'm saying is that I'm, I'm not Pixar and what I just got a guy who looked like Elmer Fudd. I posted a Craigslist ad, um, <laughs> and uh, and then yeah, just had him had him come to my come to my house and just hours and hours of twerking data. <laughs> oh man! So yeah, the, you're, so you're a purist. You're saying you're a, you're a twerk purist. That I don't. I, I'm not. I'm not. I'm sure that that Pixar would have given it like a certain. There's a certain ephemeral quality that uh, to the twerking, but this is actual uh, hardcore. You don't want to know it, it. This actually, you know, like like uh, I'm making a joke, but the twerking animation actually was like a piece of motion capture data. I did not capture it, but I did download it. Okay, um, okay. And you would be surprised how much twerking motion capture data is online. Uh, this is there's uh, what, a there's a real be, need for twerking motion capture. <laughs> Oh yeah, there's a lot of twerking cartoons. Uh, there's a lot of I I don't know if cartoon is the word, but like let's just say that that uh, I'm, I'm I I want to quote the Big Lebowski where like the guys like we were the future, dude, a hundred percent digital pornography. But that is uh, but uh, yeah, I mean so, since COVID be first became a worldwide phenomenon, I think we've all had to deal with the rise of remote twerk. Right. And like and finding that finding virtual twerk to have its own challenges unrelated to, you know, in-person twerk is, I think, something that we've all coped with, you know, and, uh, and sometimes it's exciting. Right. But sometimes there's it's also daunting and a little bit intimidating. And, and to, we're now transitioning to an era of hybrid twerk. Uh, and there's a lot of new anxieties about that. <laughs> yeah. Folks. Well, and like the, the economic consequences of distributed twerk are not are not fully understood. You know, if you suddenly if you suddenly fill up the the like the Cleveland Ohio the Cleveland's Ohio and the um not Portland Portland's gone and the, the even Boulder Colorado is sort of gone and the Lincoln Nebraska's you know the Omaha's right if you suddenly suddenly fill those up with with uh, tech workers making San Francisco salaries like what 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 will that twerk what effect will that you know, remote twerk have on those communities. I mean, it, it you know, is there, is there a uh, epidemic of, of, uh, you know, unintended consequences to the way that we twerk? If only there were a place, not a place that we could send all of our knowledge workers that wasn't Lincoln, Nebraska or Omaha, uh. um, someplace far away, uh, from the mundane earthly troubles of, remote twerk yeah. and all those considerations. Sexually so, so, could suggestive such a, could, space jam videos. I mean, yeah, that, that's, that, it's, I mean, suggestive is maybe underselling. It a little <laughs> bit. 
No, but, but Mark, are you suggesting hey. something different than a suggestive spaceship video? Perhaps. Yeah. So, well, I, it's not so much that I am suggesting it. It's just that um, our billionaire visionaries have oh. shown the way and they are leading us, my friends, ah. to space, oh. space, space, space. I, I, for one, think it's a great idea and not a massive waste of resources. You know, oh, if Richard cool. Branson was a real rebel billionaire, he would have made a Space Jam WAP mashup. I'm just saying that right now. <laughs> and But he didn't, right? And so now we're going to have the rebel billionaire, Matt Belinke, you know, as part of the Overthinking It family, once that sweet Space Jam WAP money starts coming in. But you're, talk- you're talking about how Richard Branson, was it today as we're recording? Yes, took, today, took sun- Sunday, yeah. July 11th. Um, the same day that Novak Djokovic won the Wimbledon and uh, England lost uh, the Euro to Italy, um, Richard Branson, Sir Richard Branson, I must say, went to space. Um, so let me, let me just let me just set this up a little bit here, and I'll turn it over to the panel because there's there's all sorts of different directions we can take this conversation. But like, so for those who aren't aware, we're, we're like in the middle of this like very strange quote unquote billionaire space race between Elon Musk. Jeff Bezos, Richard Branson, and some Russian guy uh, that Wikipedia informs me is also a player in this, but uh, no one's ever heard of him, so forget him for for a second. Um, these uh, the titans of industry um, who have succeeded wildly in other industries have decided that they should now also succeed wildly in going to space. Um, and by which I mean, like uh, you know, their first forays, they've done a, quite a lot of this actually, of kind of you know privatizing space ventures which used to be very much in the realm of like you know pure government contracting sort of stuff like the old nasa from 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 back in the day that we all grew up with um not to be content with that though they decided they themselves wanted to go to space and then also like open it up to space tourism um and there richard branson has this just rich and i use that word very um, intentionally rich quote here um uh, after his flight where he says we're here to make space more accessible to all we're here to make space more accessible to all now keep in mind here that the base price that virgin galactic um as they're referring to themselves uh, uh, of tickets uh for space tourists the base price is according to the cnbc article is two hundred thousand dollars more accessible folks now um, before I turn this over, like, I really have two minds for this. One is like, as Matt alluded to before, holy crap, what a ridiculous waste of, of time, money, and effort, and um, all good things, and all the sweat, sweat of our brow from the hard toils and twerks of all mankind. On the other hand, you guys, space is the place. Space is the place you know to to come on and and slam welcome to the jam and you know have intergalactic basketball adventures but you know also just like you know explore um the, the final frontier and um realize uh mankind's you know dreams of exploration and uh and and venturing to the stars and you know sure it's two hundred thousand dollars now but you know well look what these titans of industry have done uh to <laughs> reduce costs of all sorts of things oh um, yeah, pretty, you know, like, yeah like, pretty soon pretty soon uh, they'll have it down to you know they'll have it down to an amazon prime membership of you know only uh 185 dollars a year and someone can pee in a water bottle as they uh <laughs> as they you know pack yeah. your pack your spacesuit exactly yeah so Guys, space, the place for billionaires and for the rest of us or not so much. All right. Here, look, here's my thing. And I, I want to before we address the real serious concerns that you raised here, I want to get very pedantic, which I feel like this whole thing is based on a very narrow dictionary definition of space. So what what actually happened today is he got up to 50 miles because somebody at some point in the past defined the beginning of space as exactly 50 miles if they had said 60 miles whatever whatever climate scientist was trying to like define where space begins back in like i don't know like the 40s or the 50s or whenever they did this that's how high richard Branson would have gone today um and i think i read somewhere that they had like four minutes of weightlessness but it, it was weightlessness in the same way that like the the vomit comet that okay go uh film that music video on will give you weightlessness um and i feel like it's like let's say that like i told you guys that I had gone to the North Pole. And then it turned out that like what had happened is like I flew over the North Pole on my way to Iceland or I was like in a submarine that passed directly below the which would also be really cool, but it's not it's not the same as like being on the, you know, with the sled dogs in the parka um, you know, and having the picture of you like, you know, actually in the frozen tundra of the North Pole. Um 
And so I guess, and I know, don't correct me. I know that the North Pole, or wait, is the North Pole the one with the tundra and the South, or is the South Pole the one with the tundra? One of them is just ice. Well, the yeah. North Pole is water. Okay, so that there's no tundra <laughs> at the North Pole. Um, no, no, no guess, North Pole is the middle of an ocean. I guess my point is that I feel like what we need to do, and, and uh, we're just the right guys to do it, is redefine going to space. And so, like, I want to I want to propose that, like, if you're not weightless for at least an hour continuously, you have not visited space. Doesn't count. Huh. All right. Is that is that too harsh a definition? Well, is it the yeah, I mean, I was about to say, is it the weightlessness like the sort of the your airplane or submarine analogy with uh, co- compared to I, I, I'm not sure what your why you're dog sledding. Are you are have you entered the Iditarod? Is that your next? Uh, mega- that, I don't know. How are you supposed to get to the North Pole? Was it like a snowmobile? <laughs> I like get- how, how does like Shackleton do it? Probably not with the snowmobile, but the the um, but well, that the, was his first mistake. Is it that? So is it that you're not out in the environment, right? Like uh, so in in that um, in that sense, Matt, Matt, Matt Shackleton went to the South Pole. Yeah, um, um, that's going to be the theme of it, which is that I have no idea the difference between the North and the South. Is there? Is there penguins? Are there polar bears? Is there permafrost? Sorry, rather continue. Uh, are there snowmobiles? Like... Only one of the poles has snowmobiles, right? Not, but I don't remember which one it is. And there's not even permafrost anymore. But the, uh, yeah. the <laughs> but that has nothing to do with exploration. Um, it's really sad. Does uh, it's a tragic, tragic state of affairs? Um, so do you, do you by by your definite like there's an uncharitable misreading of your definition, Matt, where if you go to space but don't actually do a space walk, you actually haven't gone to space. You're akin to the um you you are as a uh uh sounding gong or a, a tinkling cymbal no you're you're like a person flying over over the north pole right like if you don't um uh you're you're not actually in the jam um Ooh, wait hold it I, I got an interesting definition what about this what if you haven't been to space unless you have been in a stable orbit Right. That you could just sort of I mean, no, I guess no orbit is permanently stable, but like you could sort of like you get up to space and then you could just sort of go around the earth for as long as you feel like until you descend again. Right. Because what Richard Branson's done and I, I believe what Bezos is going to do is you go up and then you're out of fuel. And so you go back down. But but you make sure that you have enough fuel to get to what the, the legal I guess not the legal definition, but the scientific definition of the edge of space is. But there's no way that you could just stay there. Um, so what, what about that? That has no, no, nothing to do with weightlessness and everything to do with whether it's a sustainable orbit. Well, what, what, what is the point <laughs> of our I guess, new, I guess I just feel like what's the line about being technically correct is the best form of being correct, but it also <laughs> is the most annoying form of being correct, which is just like, like they're, they're just checking a box off of a resume, right? Is that like, I have been to space, but they didn't really like experience anything besides like 20 minutes of like being, you know, stuck to the back of your very cozy alpaca leather chair or whatever, whatever fancy chair they've, uh, they've, they've select. I imagine that for the price of that ticket, you get to select the, the form of leather that you want in your crash seat. Um, but it's like, you haven't really gotten to sort of like stare out the window and contemplate the smallness of man, it doesn't. It's not like in the movies where you're in space and you're just sort of floating around, and you have time to do space stuff. I feel like if, if all you do is go right up and right back down, then it's like you're just doing it to say that you did it and not to actually experience space. Matt, did you watch the most recent season of The Crown? Uh, no, but I did. I think I saw a trailer at some point. Okay, got it. So the, there's a point where uh, the late Prince Philip is. Uh, talking to the Apollo astronauts um, and, you know, mild spoiler alert for the crown. He's been so into this idea being a pilot himself. He's been so into this idea of like going to space. And as you say, contemplating our place in the universe and like what, what it all means. And he, he just uh, sits down, you know, to, to a lovely tea with these astronauts and just dogs them about this, this question of like, yes, when you were up there having this perspective, Perspective that you know no human being has had before. Did you have deep, deep philosophical thoughts about our our place in the universe? And they were like, "Well, really, mostly we were we were 
uh, trying to operate the equipment. Like we were, mo- we were mostly concerned about keeping the radios working and we were mostly concerned <laughs> about, you know, uh, making sure, you know, making sure the engine startup sequence was performed in the, in the correct order. So, uh, does that answer your question, your, your Royal Highness, sir? Uh, and you know, of course, I mean, of course it didn't. So I don't know. I've, I've, I've a feeling that an actual trip to space would be a lot less, a lot less well, romantic, but we've, to, yeah, to, Pete, you get in, you get in here. Well, I want to say to provide some context for what Matt is saying, right? So I, I haven't really been tracking the Branson story as closely. You're saying he got about 50 miles up, Mark. I, I believe that's what the news story said. He went up 50 miles. I think there were about like three or four minutes of weightlessness and then they went right back down. Gotcha. So in 1957, Sputnik was at, and these are all nautical. These are, I think, nautical miles, but I'll give them in clicks too, right? Between 215 kilometers or 134 miles and 939 kilometers or 583 miles above the earth was Sputnik back in 1957, right? Yuri Gagarin in Vostok 1 was up there 98 nautical miles above the earth to 177 nautical miles above the earth. That's 181 clicks or 327 clicks. John Glenn, right, was going from about 87 miles up to 150 miles up nautical, 161 clicks to 280 clicks. So even in the 50s and 60s, when we're talking about the first people in space, the first satellite in space, all these sort of first things that happen in space, they're all happening at a height about twice as high minimum as where Richard Branson went, right? And I think that that's worth noting (laughs) in that, like, in order for Richard Branson to be the first billionaire in space, he had to go half as high as Yuri Gagarin, right? Which, if, if anything else, shows that, like, there's not really a level playing field when it comes to billionaires, right? They have certain advantages in terms of how their accomplishments are weighed in the balance against other people. Um, so, so, yeah, so, so it is interesting to think, OK, is the issue that it's orbit is the issue that it's weightlessness, right, um, is the issue like it seems to me like there is some sort of notional difference between being in an airplane and being in a spaceship. But how much of that is just my own toy collection as a child, right, and sort of thinking like. Like, so, okay, I'll look at it one of two ways. One, I felt like if I had an airplane toy and a spaceship toy, they're not the same toy. But also, on the other hand, I think the space shuttle in being conceived as something like an airplane maybe ended up being more expensive and inefficient than it needed to be because they felt like it needed to accomplish the things that an airplane accomplished, right? Um, You know, bringing people, flying up and down, you know, it, it couldn't use a ton of automation and certain things they can use it for now. Uh, I don't know. I mean, I'm not a space. I'm not a spaceman, right? Uh, I'm an Earth guy. I'm not a spaceman. But it does seem like there is a notional difference between, you know, what people have been doing in these big government space projects and what you're hearing coming out of the private sector now. Not that the private sector has ever been absent from any of these projects, although I guess it probably didn't have much of a, of a say in Vostok 1. Um, but, you know, and, and maybe, I don't know if Sputnik was brought to you by Oscar Mayer Wiener, if it would have turned out any differently. But, uh, but yeah, it's, uh, you know, you know what I'm saying? It's like the astronauts and the cosmonauts did more impressive stuff than what they're doing now, uh, you know, in terms of like romantic, you know, people in, in, in three dimensions flying about and whatnot. How do you I mean, think- can, can I posit a theory yeah. here, which is that we're kind of reasoning backwards from kind of the, our knee-jerk revulsion from this billionaire doing it as a vanity project. Um, and then kind of, you know, and then, you know, through the lens of nostalgia, thinking about these, you know, government programs of yore, which ostensibly were doing it for the greater glory of either the United States or the Soviet Union and finding, um, you know, having, having, thinking that that has more intrinsic worth. Is that kind of, is that what we're talking about when we're talking about billionaires in space in, in quote unquote space? I mean, I feel like I sympathize a lot with Matt's position in that I resent billionaires more when they lie than when they tell the truth. You know, like, I don't know. Right. Yeah, like, I, mean, I, like, I think what's annoying me here is that like this whole machine, right? The whole spaceship that Branson has designed is designed to do the bare minimum to allow anybody who can pay that money to say that they've done something that you can't do. Right. That like if, if the boundary were 55 miles up, they would design it just a little bit more just to get to 55 miles just so that you could say, I mean, I guess my point is that like, if this was about, 
going on a thrill ride and feeling weightlessness, you can already do that on the, the plane, the OK Go plane, right? That, that, that goes up and down and gives you the sort of parabolic feeling of weightlessness, which is the exact same experience of weightlessness that you do in this thing. The whole point of this thing is it goes just high enough so that you can say, I have been to space, which is something that only a, a, a small handful of people can do. And it's the sort of same disgust that I have when I see like Instagram influencers that are like, you know, going to great lates just to be able to like take a photo op of something, you know, and, and they don't care about any other experience besides being able to show you that they did something that you know nobody else could do. I'm also interested. I mean, I feel like we've done multiple podcasts about the culture of astronaut cosmonaut stuff. And we did a moon landing podcast, right? And of course we did the one about the crown. I'm interested in this idea of I'm interested in this idea of a critical thinking, a critical reading of of these nationalistic moonshots, as it were, these space of these space programs, the space race. Right. Uh, But I say a critical reading of it. I mean, a reading of it whose goal is to be critical. Right. In such a way as to adopt a stance with regards to a matter of like technical importance or like practical importance, right? The idea being that like, we are going to evaluate the national space programs from the standpoint that we want to make resource utilization by individuals and governments uh, apply to the needs that human beings have that are not being filled by scarcity, right? And so any way in which we can look at the space program that helps fulfill that goal is is intrinsically superior to ways that we would look at it, right, um, that don't have that critical uh, priority, right? Because there are a lot of extrinsic benefits from uh, doing various sorts of publicly funded scientific uh, and and kind of logistical endeavors Right. Uh, that such as wars. Right. Like that, that don't come from its ostensible purpose or also from its critic critiqued purpose. Right. Um, so, yeah, I just don't know. I guess I guess part of it is like, well, OK, so NASA goes to space. Right. And, and they said and th- there are other goals that they're ideally supposed to be accomplishing. Right. Like like, oh, we're supposed to learn how food works up here, how people work up here. Can human beings live in space? Could we could we move human beings to other places? Could we get resources from outer space? Uh, would it be really dangerous or really safe to do different things in space that we do here? Should we be trying to build these elevators to take things in and out of orbit? Well, I mean, there's a lot in our lives that's dictated by what's happening in space. All the satellites, right? There's a lot of people listening to the Overthinking podcast right now who are literally getting it from space. That's because we're on the moon, but it's also because we're going through the satellite. Look, okay, I'm going to draw a picture on this whiteboard. You got these three satellites around the earth Ah. and you got these lines to the side. And what I'm saying is the countdown is heading to zero. It's checkmate. Uh, It's never mind. Sorry. I I watched Independence Day again for July 4th and I got very excited. Um, But I guess you see, you get, get it. See what I'm getting at here is like, I don't know. It seems like if you prioritize a highly critical reading of the nationalistic space programs and a highly critical reading of the current private sector publicly uh, touted space programs, I wonder which ones leave more on the table with regards to the things that are kind of left out of the conversation. Do we think that the private sector is going to be doing really good and important things with this stuff? Um, Not even good, just like interesting. I don't know, transformative in some way. Um, well, right. This this is the uh, you know this is the thing. This is being this is being sort of touted as the beginning of space tourism, or it's it's uh, touted. What a what a markety kind of word. It's being marketed <laughs> as the as the beginning of of space tourism, and like they're very you know they're very eager to like tell you that that's the important thing and and that's the reason for it. Well, how big do you think is the market for? Space tourism, right? Like, even suppose they can they can achieve amazing, amazing efficiencies and economies of scale, and and shave, oh, I don't know, let's say thirty percent off of this, uh, off of this um, two hundred thousand dollar price tag to do this and get it down to get it down to uh, you know a buck forty 
right? Like how many people, I think you're going to burn through, uh, you know, and sorry, in in inept choice of words there. uh, I think you're going to burn through the group of people who has that kind of money and wants to do this pretty quickly. And the first time you actually burn through any of them, like, like space is slow and expensive and hard, like difficult. Like, and when, when you, I don't know, when, when you blow up some of the great and the good, it's going to be, uh, it, it's not, we can't like all, um, we can't all sort of find a way, find a permission structure to accept that cost the way we could with the nationalistic space programs where, you know, there was a, a narrative that these things are being done, um, for, for the good of humankind, at least in, in, in some sense, at, at least in some symbolic sense, you know, I, I don't know. I think, I think you're gonna, you're gonna find that you're the first accident. You're going to find that the, the market for the, this sort of thing dries up pretty, pretty quickly. I mean, there's a lot that needs to happen in space. It's the place, but it's the place for like communication satellites and stuff. I mean, I don't know. We could. This is where we could get really out into the event. Mark, you brought up this topic. What do you feel about all this stuff? Or I think? mean, uh, yeah, Matt, what you're getting at there is like you're you're starting to suggest that, um, you know, uh, these billionaires ought not to have um, the option to conduct this little market experiment <laughs> and when you know and and weigh out the uh, market opportunity versus the risks that you just described there. Um, so, I mean, that's kind of the next leap into this right here. If we there is something kind of inherently repellent about this um can, are we envisioning a world where they shouldn't even be allowed to do this i mean like the faa right we have a regulatory uh structure for deciding you know who gets to fly what and where at least over the united states airspace um you know should that extend to things like richard francis little joyride I, it's interesting. Well, I, it, it'll eventually have to. I mean, pre- presuming that you know, presuming that it gets busier, it'll it'll eventually have to be. You know, there's there's eventually going to have to. Be. I mean, there there is um, the the thing that comes to mind that has to you know that's kind of most closely related to this is our our capacity to track space junk. And you know, I'm I'm not a spaceman either. I I was not really a space boy. Um, I like, I liked it, but it wasn't, it wasn't, you know, among my five or six primary things. Uh, But I, you know, I'm, I'm given to understand that at one point we were tracking, um, you know, uh, every piece of space junk uh, up there (laughs) that, that, you know, was, was cast off of rockets as the, you know, various stages burnt off and they were, uh, they were let go to, you know, lose the weight to get rid of the weight on the vehicle or, um, like, or, uh, when someone dropped a screwdriver on a, on a spacewalk, you know, that, that, that was, uh, that, that those things were, were tracked because, you know, I don't know, a screwdriver, screwdriver in, in orbit is doing, you know, some number of hundreds or thousands of miles an hour, uh, just by virtue of the fact that it's, that it's in orbit. And, um, you know, I don't know that that that'll ruin your whole day if you run into if you run into one of those. But I think there's so much space junk now that we can't track it. I I I believe, if memory serves, that we like passed a point where we can't, uh, you know, we can't sort of keep track of every nut and bolt and whatever that's that's uh, been up there because you know. Um, space is big, but it's not the the sort of near to Earth space is not completely unlimited and that's uh um you know it's going to be a logistical problem that we have to solve it at at some point there's going to be a space faa and a and uh oh god i hope a space remake of pushing tin um the the film starring uh john cusack as an air traffic controller you know so what you're saying matt is that we just kind of like you know we've already started to let it go in that regard um, the odds of uh, of us kind of reigning in other uh, activities like that are, are pretty slim. That's what I'm hearing from you. And I'm also just going to kind of like back that up with, uh, uh, you know, very terrestrial activity of one of the other billionaire um, uh, space race participants, Elon Musk, which is that um, we've just kind of decided that a beta self-driving vehicle software can freely roam. Um, uh, the, the the streets and highways of the United States of America, the, the, and multiple the, times be involved 
in fatal acts and fatal uh, collisions. And we haven't stopped that. So it doesn't seem likely that we're going to stop uh, um, those billionaires from uh, popping rockets off um, uh, just because they can't. No, I mean, next step, the cosmos, like let's let the, let's let the, the autonomous uh, spacecraft, you know, fly, Mm -hmm. fly around the cosmos. So Matt, in terms of the question about whether there's a market for it, I think it's interesting about like what happens when there's the first accident. Is that going to just depress demand uh, through the floor and the whole thing is going to fold? But obviously, like luxury goods are a huge deal. Um, you know, sports cars, uh, yachts, stuff like that. Like like the rich have more money than ever before and are like running out of ways to spend it. Um, but it is interesting if you think about like luxury. Well, they should consider ex- becoming a member of Overthinking It at overthinkingit.com slash join the ultra platinum deluxe membership, which costs five times. I'm sorry, Matt. I didn't mean to interrupt you. No, it's, I, I guess I'm just sort of thinking of it as like it's like a luxury experience, right, which we don't normally they probably exist. But uh, it's hard to it's hard to think of one, maybe because I'm not on those mailing lists. I mean, like climbing Mount Everest is an example of like that costs tens of thousands of dollars to do. Right. Like if you don't. But you also need to be I mean, obviously, like there are all these stories about people climbing Everest who have no business being up there because they're not in good enough shape. But you still need to be a pretty good even the people up there that, you know, we talk about like, oh, you know, those people, their Sherpas are basically carrying them up there. They're probably still in pretty good shape. Right. Like none of those people are, you know, just like rich dudes like Richard Branson, right? Like Richard Branson would not be climbing Everest under, you know, no matter how much money he has because it requires too much grit and, and too much stamina. Um, where is that the grit space and stamina. thing? Have you ever seen that guy windsurf, Matt? He's a, he's a master class. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe grit, you're grit right. Maybe, maybe Richard Branson could, could uh, pay people enough money to drag uh, him. And also, I'm, I'm sure someone's working on a power suit that you can don and use to climb up Mount Everest. Yeah, and then Regardless and then once once they do that, I'm going to have the same complaint about that as I do about like the, the dictionary definition of going to space versus the no, dictionary definition of climbing Everest. Here's this. Um, here's this, and it's more of a. Here's something. It's more even of a hot button than than trash talking Elon Musk on a podcast, which which generally gets you, you know, generally gets like a lot of bad Twitter reaction. Um, you know, so uh, so our uh, our Twitter handle is AV Club. Um, but the, the, uh, the hot experience tourism thing, you, you know, at one point among a certain set of people was, uh, going to, to kill big game animals, you know, on safari in Africa. Right. And, and that's, that's what this reminds me of a lot. Yeah. Still. I mean, you can still do that if you pay yeah. a huge amount of money, right. And, that and if you pay like the, right. tens of thousands of dollars, you can still go kill an elephant. Go kill, Right. And you can, you can run your internet company and, uh, we just over, overthinking it doesn't register its domains with, with that company, just in case you're wondering. <laughs> um, the, uh, yeah, exactly. And right. Like the, the, you know, um, your, your, garbage person desire to kill an endangered elephant or whatever like uh you know that that can be that can be met and like it you're you're set up you're set up more or less so that you can't fail and the you know the animals are given a whole bunch of benadryl so they're sleepy or something the the you know the 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 poor victims of this um you know particular uh uh, particular pastime, like, and, and that's, that's kind of, that, that's sort of the level we're, we're talking about here in terms of like, in terms of an experience where like the, the doing the experience is, is some kind of trophy because it's, you know, uh, because it's not, not available to, to people. And I mean, I guess you're only really spitting distance from like, uh, pun intended from like fancy wines or something that, you know, only, only two cases of this were, uh, only two cases of this were ever made, but, but these things don't really, um, you know, they don't really foot to the humanitarian impulse that, that Pete was talking about, uh, before in, in his critical reading of, of, you know, space programs, um, as an extension of or or expression of some kind of you know some kind of desire to do good for humanity more um more generally 
uh, you know, I don't know, Pete, what, what do you think of, of big game hunting of uh, fancy wine or of, um, of, you know, humanity's chances more generally? I mean, fancy wine of the bunch you're talking about, I don't really have a problem with fancy wine. <laughs> um, just because like, uh, I mean, I, 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 the reason I, here's, here's, here's why I don't have a problem with fancy wine. Well, I have less of a problem with fancy wine than with these other things. Um, and I think this might be, this might end up being somewhat generational for us vis-a-vis younger people. But what I'm reminded of in thinking about this is also sports cars. And I think there's another dynamic here in play. So for example, right, who currently buys most of the sports cars, right? That are made members of Dom's gang. Yeah. Dom's gang buys them, right? Exactly. The family. No, Dom's actually gets used cars almost exclusively. They don't buy, I don't, it's very rare. I think that the Fast and Furious crew drives an entirely new car. Uh, I mean, maybe not very, very rare, but certainly somewhat rare. And certainly Uh, not, certainly not stock. Like by the time, by the time that new car hits the road, it's been pretty thoroughly uh, rejiggered, you know? And when they go to space, they actually go to space. Right. Well, yes. Well, that, here, this is what I'm thinking. What I'm thinking is, why was I so excited when Ludacris and Tyrese went to space in F9? And I feel sort of icky about Richard Branson going to space in, in right now. Right. Uh, and 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 more so about Elon Musk and about uh, Jeff Bezos going to space. Richard, I will say one thing. You can bash Richard Branson for a lot of things. I don't think you can say that he's not a serious mountain climber. I think he does that. I just wanted to put that in there. But here, here's the thing. I think there might be kind of an age thing here. I think there might be a an idea of of youth, right? And and kind of certain things about youth that are special. And because I think about what is the most common context in which you have a conversation about astronauts. And for me, it's when you're talking about people talking about what they want to be when they grow up. Right. It's, it's a dream of children to go into space. Right. And, and that's been int- and I'm also trying to think about this being a pop culture co- uh, podcast rather than a uh, strictly, um, you know, economics and politics and all this other stuff podcast. So it seems that the people going into space that excite us are people who seem to be a fulfillment of the dreams of a child. Right. Um, And maybe and maybe I'll say me in this situation and thinking about that episode of The Crown. A lot of what's going on in that episode is fictional Prince Philip is having to deal with mourning his youth. Right. His youth is gone and he is trying to understand his sort of place in his stage in his life. And and sort of this notion of great things and great achievements, which for him was a big part of being in the Navy or whatever. Right. And there's this there's this idea that adulthood is just this crescendo that keeps happening from childhood, right? That it's like you hit a certain velocity, right? When you're like 15 years old and then, and then it just keeps going, right? <laughs> and, and it's like, oh, you know, now I'm this good. Now I'm this good. Now I'm this good, right? You keep gaining levels and gaining levels. And that's not really the experience of getting older, right? Uh, that's not really how it works. And part of why this bothers me is like, if 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 the precondition to going to space is that you have to have already completed a very successful career that is unrelated to going to space, then you've really cut off the idea of going to space from the this notion of the dreams of a child. Um, whereas if it's like, oh, it's Christy McAuliffe, it's a teacher right in space. Right. That's cool. You know, because it's like, oh, man, because because we don't know what to do with space. I will put that out there right now. We can all talk about it. There are podcasts where they talk about it a lot more depth than we do. I don't think we know what to do with space, but we know it's out there. And the hope is that it's going to be of some sort of great benefit to our children's children's, however many children's it's going to be. And so the, the I think, most culturally charged and culturally energizing and sustaining and nourishing notion of somebody going to space that I experience is somebody who goes there with the eyes of a child. And the irony is, of course, you go up to space with the eyes of of a of a engineer or the eyes of many other engineers who are all watching you so you don't die, right? Because <laughs> that's necessary as well, right? Um, so that's what I think. Is it's is it's wrong? It's it's sort of like if Richard Branson went to prom, right? Like it's like <laughs> oh man, like Richard Branson, the first billionaire to go to prom, and it's like well yeah, but like you're 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 sixty eight. <laughs> 
right? Like, you know, you're not supposed to be at prom, right? And I know that that's not fair to you. And, and that's, I guess, here's the thing. I don't think that, uh, I don't, I don't necessarily think that it's wrong for them to want it, but it doesn't make me feel good. And so when I look at these other things, when I look at luxury pursuits, right, and, and there are many, big game hunting rubs me the wrong way, especially when it's older people, right? And it's like, you're trying to prove that you have this vim and vitality by going out up against this other thing that has vim and vitality. And a lot of the time, it's really your guide who has the vim and vitality more than you. Um, but there's certain other sorts of, you know, these uh, activities for, for people who are older. And among them, I sort of count, you know, I'm not saying I'm the young one, right? I'm not, I'm not 68, but I'm not like the young one here. Um, but like uh, drinking a really nice bottle of wine the, the children shouldn't be doing that. Right? Like, don't don't take your bottle of like artisanally brewed on the on the slopes of Mount Etna, right? Super rare Sicilian wine and like take it to a kindergarten and show it to the children and be like, you should dream about drinking this someday. Right. Like, you know, that's not the point of wine is to impress children. Um, but it is the point of space, you know, because for me, I, I don't know. Here's another thing. Maybe this is a pivot. Uh, that would be helpful for you guys too. I, as I get older, I find space more and more scary. The notion of space just more and more terrifying, right? Um, because my my sort of my sort of like my sort of circles of how I experience the world and life uh, change in their sort of size and orientation, right? And sp space is a lot scarier than it used to be, right? The idea, like I think you feel this if you watched Picard. Right. There's the speech that Picard has in the CBS show where he talks about being the only living thing awake in, you know, all these light years and how he finds it really thrilling and exciting. Um, and I don't believe him. Right. Like, I think that the situation he describes is terrifying. And I don't think that that's how Picard in the earlier shows necessarily viewed space. Um, in fact, he took a lot of comfort, I think, in a lot of more terrestrial pursuits like archaeology, um, archaeology, winemaking. Yes. Flute playing. Right. Uh, like like, like the, Earl Grey. the thing that age gives you is the opportunity to appreciate and, and practice. Right. So like things and, 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 and it's sort of like we talk a lot about class, but we don't talk about um, age in terms of money a lot in terms of especially in our experience, the amount of money you have at different ages in your life is usually fundamentally different. Right. Like sure. for most people. Right. And so, like, the things that you have when you're young and the things that you – and it's almost like a kid having too much money is really bad, even worse than an adult having too much money because you know that they, it's not the kind of thing that the kid should have because they're going to destroy themselves, right? That's the whole movie Blank Check, right? <laughs> yes. This is, this, is a blank, this is a stealth Blank Check podcast, right? Uh, I mean, Matt, do, do you appreciate the movie Blank Check? Man, I got – honestly, I don't remember what – he does with the money in blank check, but it probably, I mean, it, it, if he, the technology existed, he would have gone to space. Right. Yeah. <laughs> and that, and, and yeah. that would have been joyful. I, I, I do sort of agree with you that like space, there's a big difference between like a kid who has, has gotten a lot of money choosing to go to space. And then Richard Branson, you know, the, the sort of like aging billionaire, uh, going to space and then like, you know, posting it all over social media. just like, look at me. I'm in space. Yeah, I, I I wonder if it's more something for other people than for you. Like it's like we want to feel like our lives have an order to them, and so we look to the different ages of people and we seek to organize them into sort of cultural phases, right? And then as you experience them, they do feel different, right? And it does kind of make sense, but it's more for it's more about like yes, all these other things about. You know, it's a it's a bummer that only billionaires get to do cool stuff anymore, that you have to be 60 and retire to afford a Mustang. Right. Like um, not retired, but like, you know, you have to dip into your retirement funds like you can't just buy a new Mustang, you know, as like a young working kid, which is like something you used to be able to do. Um, I don't know. I mean, Mark, you brought up this topic. Does any of this resonate with you? Yeah, I think you're hitting the nail on the head, basically, Pete, with the um, kind of the aspirations of a child piece. Um, I don't know how much more I can add to that, except, um, to say that, well, you know, 
we, we've criticized Richard Branson a lot on here, right? But he did believe that he could fly, and he believed that he could touch the sky. <laughs> he thought he thought about it every night, every and, night day. and day. And today, my friends, he spread his wings and he flew away to space. I just, I guys, I, I don't know if you. I guess they'll t- take fewer transcontinental flights than I do because I come back east to see you, and uh, you know it's it's more rare that that y'all come to California to hang out with me. Um, though though, uh, Mark, you've done it, and and Matt, you've done it. The the Pete and I'm waiting. I'm waiting for you. Um, but uh, Virgin America was just a a great airline. <laughs> Oh yeah, it was wonderful. <laughs> it was the best, uh, and you know, I've uh, since they got acquired by Alaska, uh, I've flown Alaska a couple times. Doesn't hold a candle to to Virgin America. So I guess you know, I'm inclined to um, I'm inclined to have a soft spot for Richard Branson blazing a, a flaming trail across the sky um, because it reminds me of the licensing deal that he once made with an American, you know, uh, budget airline, budget carrier to uh, send a whole bunch of uh, A320s from, from LAX to JFK. And I, I miss that, you know, and uh, you guys, the Virgin Megastore is gone, right? Like many, many years ago at this point in Times Square, or is it still there? Oh no! I think it's I think it's I think it's the M M&M and M store now or something. Yeah. What did they sell there? Was it like CDs? Yeah, I used to do a lot of my Christmas shopping there at the Virgin Megastore in Times Square. CDs, DVDs, pretty much all sorts of of it was basically all sorts of physical media that you wanted to buy. You could get your Family Guy DVDs there, your Game of Thrones season one, right? You could get uh, and you could get books. They had books. Um, I think in one famous story. Perhaps the most important role that the Virgin Megastore played in history in Times Square was when Glitter came out, the Mariah Carey movie. Uh, I believe the Mariah Carey, the sound, the album associated with the movie Glitter uh, was was either sold for super cheap or given out at the Virgin Megastore such that enough sound scan copies could be scanned that it would make the charts because otherwise it wasn't going to chart because <laughs> nobody was going to buy it. Um, so a lot of people went through that, those doors. Um, I mean, that's where I got my Cindy Lauper box set, man, but it was a really good place. Um, I don't, I don't hate Virgin, right? Like I don't hate Richard Branson. I don't hate Virgin. I, I don't feel great about this space, uh, this billionaire space stuff. Um, and yeah, there's probably one would think that, that there'd be better uses for, you know, people's time and energy than space tourism, you know, and, and it does seem like us, like the dream is smaller than it used to be, but maybe that's also just a product of me being older. Um, maybe for young people, they're like, Oh man, I totally need to open a CD store so that someday I can fly in a spaceship. Um, yeah, but wonder, even that dream has been lost. I wonder what the, <laughs> I, want, I wonder what the modern day equivalent of that would be. Oh, I know starting a podcast. Yes, yes, yes. Exactly. I think it might be exactly. it, might, it might be time to uh, might be time to let this uh, to let this podcast fly away uh, like a firework, uh, and and we can <laughs> like go. an eagle to the sea. Uh, <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> um, yeah, more any more song references? Can can we just throw in some more here? Just uh, you know, um, I'm I'm just trying to remember what else was in the Space Jam soundtrack. Yeah. <laughs> you want to you want to hear like a great song though. You should look at the uh, the Virgin America sort of like uh, informational video about like safety. Uh, and it was a full out musical, and it will get stuck in your head for weeks. Oh, I'm 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 like, oh come on, under your seat there's a life vest, <laughs> first class. Go. It's below the center armrest. <laughs> Pull the strap the link on the, over, Everyone needs to listen to it. Oh no, I I I am totally comfortable saying that I used to legit tear up uh at the <laughs> at the very end when when the like the inspirational, you know, kind of rumbling would start and it's like, "All right, 
we're getting ready to take off. So fasten that seatbelt and put that tray table in the locked position. And then they'd all sing. So tonight, get ready to fly. We're going to live it all, all up in the sky. sky. Wait, wait, guys, guys. <laughs> all the places you want to be. Fly, fly away with, with me. Oh, it was, the, it was the best airline. It was Guys, the, guys is, is anyone else even a little bit aware? Because I just looked this up. And I'm pretty, I'm pretty stunned by it. Space Jam Two comes out in like five days. Oh yeah, no, that's that's why I had to get it done. Otherwise, I'd still be working on it. I'd be working on it all year. So we just, did space. Just really, just really, really tweaking that Elmer Fudd twerking, tweaking, the, tweaking the twerking. I was like, oh man, when's that new Space Jam movie coming out? We got to do a podcast about space again and about Space Jam. Uh, no, th- so, this okay. was it. Okay. No, we're going to watch Space Jam 2, the new we, legacy, because it's going to help Space us understand the new legacy. What? I don't know if you've been following the controversy, but it's 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 a shameless sort of like uh, like IP play where like all the IP that the studio owns will be sort of tied in to the point where like people noticed in the trailer that the Droogs, the gang from A Clockwork Orange, is at, has courtside seats to see Space Jam. That sounds intriguing. <laughs> yeah, like literally, there's a lot. Like honestly, like look, a lot of movies um, we podcast about because they're like, like Black Widow doesn't really need us to podcast about it. This movie needs us to explain what's going on. Right. Um, right. So like, we we're going to have to cover it. If not, if not next weekend, then like soon, because there's going to be some weird stuff. Man, we might need to talk about this in the back channel. Is it going to be Black Widow or is it going to be Space Jam next week? Oh, God. I mean, guys, do you want to see a movie that you'll probably like a little bit or a movie about basketball? <laughs> no, it's going to be great. It's going to be awesome. It's going to have great music. I don't even know, man. I don't even know. Oh, stay tuned. Yeah, I guess if you have a vote. On what next week's podcast is, <laughs> leave it in the comments. <laughs> How's that? How's that for teeing up some enchanting gay? Let's get those, let's get those page views, you know, cause I want to go yeah. to space. <laughs> so- yeah, Matt, get working on your, uh, Space Jam Black Widow matchup video that we can put with the podcast next week. <laughs> but, yeah, we're, yeah. We're, but only the animals can twerk. Uh, right, right. unless they're actual no, that spiders. Would, that would be disrespectful. Or Charles Barkley. <laughs> yeah. I mean, obviously Charles Barkley could twerk. <laughs> Okay, well, that's that's it for this week. Thanks very much for listening, and thanks to these guys for podcasting. We'll be back next week with more Overthinking It podcast. Don't know what we'll be talking about, but we'll be uh, we'll be here. And until then, you can visit us on the web at overthinkingit.com, where we subject the popular culture to a level of scrutiny. It, it probably, probably doesn't deserve. deserve. In space, 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 space.